What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Pock Talk. I want to thank you so much for joining us again, as always, and for supporting us thus far. This has been a really, really fun journey, and uh, and we are really happy to have you on board. So, in light of the recent events uh, in Charlottesville and uh, just everything that's going on in our country, we wanted to, you know, put together an episode where we uh, address those issues. I think anyone with a platform like this has a responsibility to address those issues, whether they like or whether they want to accept it or not and we're no exception i think there's already enough media out there that's commenting on the situation and we didn't want to do that we wanted to take a different approach and so you know for the last couple of weeks i've been trying to figure out how we're going to go about it what are we going to do like how can we provide some insight and sure enough uh timing was perfect uh, i was shared an article that's uh, that was posted on Sojourners called For Our White Friends Desiring to Be Allies. This article's been shared over 200,000 times online. It's still making its rounds. But I reached out to the author. Her name's Courtney Ariel, and she responded, which is really cool. So thank you so much, Courtney, for agreeing to come on the show. Um, uh, you know, that's kind of been one of the cool things about, you know, this project so far. It's that everyone's very open to... Uh, discussing and sharing their experiences. In her piece, Courtney makes six different points that are kind of tips that people desiring to be allies can use uh, to be just better understanding and uh, more sympathetic of the situation, you know, and be a part of the movement. This episode is, is meant to offer tools that our allies can use and to also equip uh members of the POC community with the knowledge to better handle these conversations and better navigate this situation. So I think you'll learn a lot from this episode and just listening to Courtney's story. And as always, thank you so much for being here and for supporting us and for rating us. And if you haven't done so, it takes 90 seconds. Uh, We're really trying to go up in those ranks on on iTunes. So uh, head over. And give us a like, or sorry, give us a rating, five stars, and a comment. But yeah, here we go, guys. This is episode seven of Pock Talk. How was your day? How was your weekend? It was good. It was Where'd good. you guys go? Our Congratulations. <gasps> Congratulations. Yeah. We went to a burlesque show. I saw that. I saw your really Instagram. Fun. Yeah. Oh. Wait, really fun. Like like legit no. burlesque? Like- yeah, it was like uh ten acts, mm-hmm. so ten different women, mm-hmm. and they all did different kinds wow. of burlesque. So there was a few that were like the classic like vaudeville burlesque, oh. and then some yeah. that were like aerialists and like oh, okay. gymnasts. Like Christina Aguilera burlesque type thing. Oh, that was yeah. a good movie. I really like that movie. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there was a cannabis girl. She oh, like came what? out in like marijuana leaves and stuff. Yeah, cool. it was so fun. That's yeah. cool. Where was it? That is downtown. Fun. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I was here. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wait, didn't you just come from Vegas? He's going to Vegas. Oh, you're going to Vegas this weekend. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right, cool. Oh, well, congratulations, Thanks. guys. Yeah, congrats. That's huge. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. 
Congrats. I can't believe it's been four years. <laughs> like time just goes so quickly. Um, mm-hmm. That it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, do you guys watch the fight? Does anybody watch fight? Did you guys watch fight? No, we went fight. to a party. Oh, really? What's I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, I I just can't get behind. I have a story that Floyd. I want to share. We don't have to get too into it, but I do want to share this story okay. because it's, it's been on my mind like for the last two days. Okay. So I had to. I and I had to uh, uh, bartend a party, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's in the Hollywood Hills, and uh, turned out to I was, I was sad because we were planning a. Um, a party, a viewing party at my house, but then we ended up going, but I ended up having to work, but it turned out to be a fight viewing right. party, so it wasn't a big deal. But anyway, I bartended this party in the Hollywood Hills, a bunch of rich uh, rock stars and stuff. I don't want to name them because I don't know if they're going to... Did I don't, you I sign an NDA? Um, no, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, oh. but I don't want to... It's my mom. Was, <laughs> I, I worked the gig with my mom, yeah, so I don't yeah, want to yeah, get yeah. her in trouble, but anyway. Yeah. My mom's a housekeeper. Yeah. She works like events. She works events yeah. and stuff. And uh, right. But anyway, so I worked the, I worked this party. I was bartending. And it's, I don't know why it really bothers me. I don't know why I get bothered by this. I mean, tell me if, if, if I don't have a reason to be bothered, let me know. Okay. But So okay. it really bothers me when people speak to me in Spanish, when white people speak to me in Spanish without, mm. or just assume that I speak Spanish before, mm. or, you know, just address me. Because there was a couple of times when they're like, oh, hola, una cerveza, please. Or una cerveza, would, por favor. That would really bother it me. It really <sighs> pisses me off. <laughs> And it's so funny that bothers me, but I, me, when I see people, I speak to them in Spanish. But, okay. But it's more of like mm. a community thing, an mm. outsider thing, okay. but like, you know what I mean? Like, I definitely, like, when I'm getting served by people, or I go to a Mexican restaurant, or I'm just even out, you know, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. people who I assume to be Spanish speaking, I greet them in Spanish. But if somebody did that to me, like, not a, like you know, a Spanish-speaking person did that yeah. to me. I would be like really bothered by. Okay, it. cool. So it's not just me. This happened to me before. It's it ha- seems to happen to yeah. me every time I go to work with my parents. If oh, if I may if I may interject, I think it's because we have more of a lens as to with whom that's appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Whereas mm-hmm. in your in your case, Brian, that like they they they, they have no see, lens. They didn't yeah. See that. Yeah. I yeah. guess. Yeah. And like. Like my I, my reaction is always I always say, oh yeah, you're welcome. I respond in English, you know, or English. or say or use an idiom, an English idiom, mm-hmm. you know, to just kind of mm-hmm. you know let that let them know. And it pissed me off because they did it. The same person did it to me three times. They probably thought they were being cute. I and wasn't like, sure. That's not cute. Really <laughs> that shit's not off. cute. Yeah. That is like super microaggressive. Right, yes. it is, right? That's exactly Outsider what it is. Outsider perspective. Okay, yeah. yeah, I think it totally is. And growing up, like, that would happen to friends of mine and they would be like, why the fuck is this person speaking to me in Spanish right now? And they're not a native Spanish speaker. Yeah. So I just, as like a person observing from the outside, I always felt like that was something that like, why are you doing that? Stop, please stop. I think that you using the word microaggression is like perfect, you know, because there's a lot of things that people do um, just without necessarily like knowing it or realizing where it's coming from or like being in a place where they can like step back and look at it. And that's really like a great example of what a microaggression is, right? It's not outwardly... offensive or not outwardly like wrong quote unquote but when you have that happen to you you feel this like dissonance and you feel this uncomfortableness Mm -hmm. that comes with that treatment yes you know yes yeah and it's those subtleties though Mm -hmm. that kind of like 
add up to this to these larger things that just permeate mm-hmm. in my mind a lot of what's wrong and what doesn't get talked about like between trying to build bridges of cultural understanding those microaggressions can really be big blows Mm -hmm. especially when they happen all the time but you're right they're not like maliciously intended so it's like you're supposed to blow it off or what have Mm -hmm. you but but it does I think and you know we all know that like racism and like systematic like racism doesn't exist Mm -hmm. through these like big blatant displays of racism they happen in like little incidences all the time Mm -hmm. throughout you know you know different people and different tiers of of people but it does happen at such like a micro level that it's it's really um woven into like the fabric you know of Mm -hmm. how we interact with each other Always speak. Agree. Yeah. Always speak English. Yeah. If you're gonna talk, to me. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't look brown, <laughs> then don't then don't speak to me. Don't in speak Spanish. to me in Spanish. Uh, that's wrong. That's I don't perfect. know. Maybe not. But uh. yeah, no. I don't think I've ever experienced mm. that. No. No, I don't think I've ever had somebody. But I think um, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of like passing. Like I don't look. Um, mm. I don't I don't look like uh, like white or anything. I'm not passing in that sense. But I think just like in the situations I am and in the way that I come off like people, mm-hmm. it's not that non threatening. Right. Like I, I, think I look right. threatening. No, I don't think you look threatening. <laughs> Is it the but, <laughs> but I think that like I haven't really experienced that because I don't think I've ever really been in a situation where like somebody would assume that about me. But I can see mm-hmm. how you being in that situation and being with your parents and mm-hmm. stuff in that in yes. that situation. Because that's what we, yeah. we were the help. Yeah, I mean, exactly. We were the help. Right, yeah. it gives it that context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anybody listening yeah. out there, don't speak to me in Spanish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> but anyway, C- Courtney, thank you for joining us again. Um, yes. Tell us your story. Thank you for yeah, having no, me. No, no, this is awesome. All the way from... I hope this sounds good. <laughs> I think it will. I know. We got, I hope, we got I Mr. hope so too. This guy is a master <laughs> engineer. He's produced tons of tracks oh, with awesome. like tons of artists <laughs> like he built the studio by the way oh wow this, this is, is this nice is, this is what him, with, he and axel built with axel yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't it wasn't an isolated incident yeah. this is so much different than the uh falling uh, <laughs> foam that we have at your place it's actually stapled yeah I, I taped i bought stop we're still working on okay, it. okay i was about to it's say it's i was about to say if axel brought that foam it's literally from here no, no, it's no, axel, I it okay in okay yeah a couple weeks ago uh, I went, it's been a hundred bucks on like, I think it was like, I don't know, a couple of square feet of, it's big, it's pretty big, but like we right. just, we just taped it up in my house where we usually record <laughs> today. This is our first time recording here. Yeah. Uh, hopefully not, hopefully not the see, last two. It's really impressive. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. This is well, really nice. You, thank yeah. You. <laughs> Good job. Hopefully yeah. it's not the last. Yeah. yeah. This is where they run their program, by the way. The kids program. Okay. This is this, where it is. this is all their work. This, this is the classroom. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Wow. For anybody not watching, this it's a dope studio. Yeah, it's really cool. We're recording <laughs> these good buffers. Okay, let's hear Courtney's anyway, story. Yeah, Courtney, sh- tell us your story. Where are you from? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, I grew up in San Diego, California, and I was born in Atlanta. But my parents drove cross country when I was a baby, so kind of spent summers visiting family in the South and like Christmas breaks. But really, grew up in San Diego, and um. Yeah, I went to really diverse schools just because of by virtue of getting to grow up in a pretty diverse city. And my mom 
lying about our address <laughs> so that I could I get bust into different neighborhoods. You know how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time that I was in school, exactly the struggle so real. But at the time that I was in school, San Diego had something like where you could sort of petition to get your kid to go to like any school in the district that you wanted them to go to. So it created the situation at the time where it was just like truly diverse, socioeconomically diverse, culturally diverse. Um, and yeah, so then I think I kind of also was given maybe a little bit of a false impression as a kid growing up with parents who came through the civil rights movement and made, um, inclusiveness like a part of the conversation always. And growing up in a diverse city made me think that like, Oh, everybody's doing this work in some kind of way. We're all like figuring it out and trying to understand one another better. And, you know, when microaggressions happen, we're correcting each other in love and all these things. And, you know, went to college and totally got that shattered and realized like, Oh, nobody's doing that. Um, I lived in different parts of the city, but when we first moved, I was in South San Diego Um, and then I lived in Claremont for a little bit, lived in Bay Park for a little bit of time. And when I graduated, I was living in Southeast San Diego. Okay. So large, um, large Latino population and grew up with a lot of Mexican culture that became a part of my view of America. Yeah. Um, and, um, and is, if I can really just be honest, is the thing that I miss the most Mm -hmm. living in the part of the country that I am in now. So, uh, but that's another conversation. <laughs> so, where did you go to college? What was where was that? Yes. And how was that experience? So, I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is now a. I am a gaucho. Oh, I have a couple friends that are gaucho. <sighs> oh gosh, yeah, and it was you know it was a beautiful experience. Probably hands down one of the most beautiful places I'll ever live. Santa Barbara's so nice. I've drove driven through it. Okay, that's yeah. a they're yeah. like right at the beach. Yeah, like it's pretty insane. Like when I was going to look at colleges, we were supposed to go all the way up to Berkeley and basically like made it to Santa Barbara, and we were like, "Yeah, we're not done. This is we're it. done. Yep. Um, this is it." So yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, One point eight percent black students on campus when I was there. I think they're up to three percent now, and um, so there were like ninety eight of us. Mm-hmm. We all knew each other. There were 6%, it was a 6% Latino population at that time. I want to say that now, though, it's like considered to be like a Hispanic, quote unquote, serving institution, whatever numbers is that, that a term are that's, required that's used for that. Often? Because this is this, this is the it second is, time I've heard that yeah. about that same It is, term. and I'm using quotes because I just don't, I feel a way about that. Mm. Um, but I, I defer my feelings to people who actually belong to that group because it doesn't really matter how I feel about that. But you but had I that experience at Santa Barbara language. and I think that that's important. You know what I mean? You can come in yes. and say like, I don't feel that way about this because of what you saw. So Right, exactly. You know. I think you can kind of say that about an institution, but then it's like, okay, are these voices being represented? Maybe, you know, in larger numbers now than when I was there mm-hmm. um, 10 years ago. I, I mean, I hope so, of course, but... It was really cool to have experiences with El Congreso, you know, to be able to do stuff with Black Student Union and kind of come together as people of color on campus. But what I think we were all experiencing is that um, it's just it's a large PWI, predominantly white institution. And the microaggressions, the aggressive aggressions Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
there were there was so much racism that um I had not been like overtly kind of exposed to in that way before going to college like the things that would be said to you kind of in passing that you are like internalized what yeah. <laughs> were you greek yeah and i i did i um i i'm in a black sorority which one so delta sigma theta okay. and if you want us to yeah to, you know cut yeah. it out let us know you can let us <laughs> yeah know. huh if you want us to cut it out let us know no 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 please do. i'm yeah i'm proud to be a delta yeah i was in a, in a sorority as well my undergrad <laughs> okay yeah i was in a okay, latino cool. serving sorority uh capital takai so I'm not sure. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I feel like we might have had them on our campus. I don't think so. Time. We're new to no, California. Something? We're we're mostly okay. in Texas, um, in Southwest, okay. but now we're like moving over to California. Now we're, we had a, but just one. And see, that's the other thing. We had just one yeah. Latina sorority yeah. on my campus when I was there. I know them. I know them. <laughs> I've heard of them. I've heard of them. <laughs> and then we had one fraternity that had like that threw really amazing parties. But yeah, it's like always kind of like the one. Were group. you guys like the every- one like the one black sorority on campus? We actually there were two of us when I was okay. there. <laughs> well, that's good. Is it growing? Because I know that you're, you're definitely yeah, your campus we were- is definitely getting more uh, uh, like Latino uh, frats because we just got established up there. Yes. And yes, there, I know. I think three other frats that are up there and maybe like two or three. I think there's several now. And I, and I think that's so great. Like I think that there's been a lot of progress in terms of numbers. And so I hope because I'm not on campus anymore, my hope is obviously just that it is translating as well Mm -hmm. into um, voices that are being represented. Yeah. Do you go back? I do go back. Um, so I haven't been back since I moved to Tennessee, but the last time that I went was about a year and a half ago before I drove cross country. And I played, um, actually did like an event at the Multicultural Center for a friend that's a student advisor on campus. Um, he's in a black Greek fraternity up there, but graduated years ago and now works on campus. So going back, it's cool, like, you know, to see the changes. And But I would say that like college is the time that my... Um, I started looking at the world like through a different lens Mm -hmm. and it switched from kind of a lot of the work that, that my parents like imparted to me and my sister on like inclusion and trying to be an ally to different communities. I think in college I started to see more um, systems and some of the systemic things that exist around um, keeping people like the things that are divisive Mm -hmm as far as racism and structures of um, privilege and supremacy. And so, and I was also in school during, during Bush's administration Mm. and hurricane Katrina. And so there were a lot of things that were, we were like an anti-war marches. Like there was a protest every other week. So so it was also just like a socially active time. How did you react to Kanye? Uh, his, his yes, I vividly remember, remember watching that. that. <laughs> we were all me and my roommates were all together watching this on TV. We had just heard that Jay Z had donated like a million dollars, and then Mike Myers and Kanye, yeah, got on the screen. Yeah, I, I do remember, and like, it was it's what? crazy because this was like a Red Cross benefit, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. For those of us yes. who are now reminiscing, and people, we yes. were all watching it. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was watching that was before it. Before stuff was trending too. <laughs> Yeah, that, we didn't yeah. really have social media no, the way we, we do I mean, now. No, no. Nah, we couldn't no, nah, we couldn't stream that fast. You were kind of just there or, or watching it or yeah. you weren't. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those. But I remember being like, wow, an old school Kanye, like that first album, I mean, I I loved him and I thought 
the messages were so like prophetic and what is he saying? And so when he did that, I remember us all being like, what the fuck? But it was so, he, he was he so right on, right? Like <laughs> he was so right on. That's why we were like, oh shit. Okay. Um, yeah. So I do remember yeah. that moment, but yeah, it was kind of a, I think it was a time where if you were that age and you weren't being moved to social action, then like, you weren't awake in some way well Um, I think that that was a whole probably your generation you know kids who went to college at that time is really the start of this like new like millennial awakening you know what I mean where we're all like all want to be more engaged and we all want to like make our voices heard and like be passionate about things you know so I can imagine like kind of being on the forefront of that change and seeing these things happen and being young and being on a college campus and like being energetic about it, you know, how, um, I think it went beyond, yeah. you know, posting a status yeah. mm-hmm. or sharing, yeah. a, or sharing an That's article. True, you didn't, have, you didn't that. have all that That's other true. bullshit too. It was just what you, what you were seeing. You That's know? true. Just, damn. That's, That's true. I mean, it is, it's not like you were out at like a sleep in posting pictures about it because Facebook didn't come to my campus until like my sophomore or junior year. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of like, you were doing it just to do it. Not, not because anybody was really going to see about it because the truth of the matter is like more often than not, you weren't going to have an audience for any of the things that you were doing. And so there were no, that is there were that's no different hashtags. now too. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> true. Oh, what a, what a <laughs> wow. new world we're on, Damn, you know? I know technology ha- happens fast. Yeah. That's insane. But it's also cool. There's so many great things about that too. Cause I, we'll see things like how the internet will explode with like a person's name that they're trying to get pardoned. That's on death row. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the day, I'll look back and they're like, this person was given a pardon through the end of the week. And I'm like, did the internet do this? Like that's, I mean, so that is powerful as well. Ah, Yep. Well, when I was, when I was in college, that was like right when um, the Arab spring started. You know, what it, you don't know what the Arab Spring is. Not familiar. So the Arab Spring was um, uh, when uh, Egypt went through like a civil revolution when oh, the people oh, like right, ousted right, right. Okay, their their yeah, leader and they were using like yeah. social media and then several other countries, Tunisia, um, you know, some other countries up there, and then Syria was like right on the brink. And when that Syria civil war happened, like that's when the Syrian re- like war like really really started because it came off on the tail end mm-hmm. of that arab spring where all these revolutions were happening this was what like four mm-hmm. or five years ago oh no 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 this is more this is probably like my freshman sophomore year of college so maybe like 2010 2011 okay. so like oh, oh. seven years ago yeah damn has it been that long already mm-hmm. jesus okay <laughs> so crazy wow. f- but yeah it's like that's even a substantial amount of time mm-hmm. like that's seven years ago yeah a lot's changed, yeah, Well, man. if you want to know something really crazy that'll blow your mind, like we've been in like Iraq and Afghanistan for like 15 years. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we have. God. I, and, if, and, and the thing is, if you had, like, I remember watching that morning of 9-11, senior year AP English class. And it's like, if anybody had said then, this is what the trajectory of this is going to look like. I just can't even imagine like believing that if someone had been like, when you're 30, Mm -hmm. we're still going to be like having the same conversation around terrorism. What? Yeah. That's insane. Well, it's just goes to, you know, so much happens and then so little happens too. (sighs) And so little happens. So we should get back onto your story. So you, so Santa Barbara, (laughs) so Santa Barbara, yeah. 
So Santa Barbara um, graduated. I moved to LA mainly because a lot of the like a lot of the homies that I made at school were from LA originally, and I thought, well, I don't want to go back to Dago right away. Um, mostly because my friends in San Diego are. It's like it is a great place to live, and so this is going to sound ridiculous to say, but like people that don't leave for school, like don't leave, which is fine because there's. I think place, that's everywhere worst, in the world, though. I think, I think that's exactly. everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it felt like that kind of thing of this is a time to make a different choice. So, and I had been writing songs and singing them just at open, like little quiet coffee shops, silver silver greens, and other places in Isla Vista. And I thought, well, maybe I'll actually like sing them in front of like humans that aren't just my friends. Um, so me and my homegirl moved to LA, and yeah, and I, oh, LA is a is a beautiful. You guys know, like I I fell in love. I hated it for the first four years. Um, I stayed because like I had a community there, and I was like, I need to just be living in a different part of town. I was living in Santa Monica, and I was like, this is so far. Um, Far and like it's, pristine yeah. and like very. The, uh, it's the ugh part of LA. It's the part that makes. Yeah, me, I was ugh. like, this is clean. Like, was kind of the nicest thing I could say about it. And I, and I, yeah. So I ended up moving east, kind of before it when it was still affordable to live. I was on the border of Silver Lake and Echo Park now eight years ago, but it was when I could afford to live alone, and it wasn't popular there weren't a lot of restaurants that had moved into silver lake yet it wasn't gentrification it wasn't gentrified yet and it's so hard for like a lot of folks that live there now to even imagine that that was just eight years ago Mm -hmm. but i'm telling you it was such a different community and i loved it like i um i lived there for seven years almost six and a half seven years and that was when i fell in love with la like finding little places to eat my favorite cuban restaurant and finding like the grocer that i liked that i could walk to taking the bus more i was like this is a beautiful city um so yeah i stayed in la for 10 years and i played a lot of music i failed a lot and got back up a lot um music's a hard thing to pursue I tried to get more honest with my storytelling and my writing and I recorded some songs and so that was like a beautiful and tough journey to have Mm -hmm. um yeah and then I just kind of felt like around a year and a half ago that it was time to try something that would really terrify me which was a new like music market and also get to be a little bit closer to my family that's from the south Mm -hmm. so i just like packed everything i could fit into my 2000 honda civic which i still have and drove to tennessee yeah they're good cars Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a long time it made it to nashville jesus (laughs) after living in la man that's a good car in la hey and was broken into three times in la (laughs) wow one of the times it was stolen and I got it back. Um, <laughs> oh my god! So, yeah, this bricks? car is a gangster. <laughs> I literally have never heard like such like a <laughs> thorough car. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that car is down for you. Yeah. This it's car is so. Car. If I could find a boyfriend like this car, <laughs> like what? <laughs> get yourself a Honda. <laughs> get you a get you a Honda. Yes. Two thousand. <laughs> Twitter profile looking for Hondas. <laughs> Tinder that for Hondas. Swipe right. <laughs> Tinder, yeah. for Tinder for Hondas. <laughs> That's so good. So it's just you, um, you and your yeah. friend that left to Nashville. No, I came alone. Oh, I kind oh, of just, wow. 
yeah, there was so much stuff in the car. Um, nobody else would have fit, but I made, I made it like a journey. I had friends along the way. So Arizona, New Mexico and Austin, Texas. And, um, I was on the road for like 26 days. I played music different places. And, um, I think I also wanted to do it that way because I wanted to see, the southern part of the country I think coming into the south there was part of me that wanted to like uh, just feel the weight of the land there's a lot of blood on the land I mean America was horrifically colonized right so I think like I needed to take that passage in some sort of like a spiritual way to just kind of experience the things I experienced and it was hard especially when you get into the parts of the south where it's not safe to be a woman of color traveling alone but I think it was important to me to do it alone um and I'm grateful that it all worked out okay because it it obviously could have gone a different way but do you have any negative experiences at all you know I did I um I joked with my friend Ashley that there should be an app. <laughs> this is not funny, but this is the kind of shit we laugh about that like would tell you where not to stop. Like where yeah. is like a I racist mean, town and where like black and brown tool, people shouldn't stop. Yeah. Like it would be awesome to just be like, oh yeah, you shouldn't go here. Cause you plan out like where you're going to stay at night and the people you're going to see. But like when you have to get gas or eat, you kind of just have to stop. So I, um, I had a bad experience in a town called Kerrville, Texas. That was when like I stopped at a Cracker Barrel, which is why did I? <laughs> why, <laughs> why did I think that why would be a good choice? Did I? <laughs> yes. It was like the only restaurant. Um, yeah. And I waited for something like 30 minutes with like um, servers just walking past me. And I just had tears. Yeah. You're getting frustrated. Trying to keep upset, them yeah. in my eyes because I knew why nobody was helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, I have to stay sitting here. I just kept, I just kept like repeating names of civil rights leaders in my mind to like encourage me to stay. And, but yeah, there were rubble flags on like most of the cars in the parking lot that, and that was like a real like slap in the face. Like, Oh shit, you're in the South. So, so I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, so what would you say in your experience, the difference between the racism that you Based at like a predominantly white institution mm. and the more like blatant in your face racism of like being in the South? Mm, that's a great question. I think, um, cause yeah, we talk about California and we always like acknowledge, yeah, we're in a bubble, mm-hmm. but we still do experience these things um, because they are very much real and they do still happen on every coast and even in the most progressive of places. I think the difference, though, to me in California is that, like, nobody that was ever, or from my experience, nobody that was ever saying something that was microaggressive to me or blatantly racist in California had likely ever been told or even thought that they were a racist or, and, and they might not have been a racist, but that there was anything that they could be doing that was lending to like further exclusion that was aiding um, like supremacy that was adding to systemic structures that keep marginalized and disenfranchised people down. I think they genuinely thought that they were being colorblind. And I think that for that reason, they thought that they were being progressive and that they were being, oh no, but it's inclusive because it's just American culture and there's no, we shouldn't really subscribe to these um, black, white, brown kind of things. I think they thought they were being like um, 
creating this like melting pot sort of thing where everyone just like molds together and loses their identity. And so their struggle is not significant. I really think that like that was more the case in California versus like people in the South that are that are driving around town with a Confederate flag on the front of their truck and a shotgun rack on the back um, absolutely know that they are bigoted. And even if, um, even if it has to be called to their attention, like I don't think it'll take too much to convince them. And I mean, the things that'll come out of folks' mouths will um, un like unname you because you'll just be like, wow, you really... You know, and some of it's out of ignorance. A lot of it's out of ignorance. I think I've seen a little bit that's out of hate too. Um, it's scarier to me, if I'm honest. I don't want to like, I don't want to diminish anybody's struggle because I know that I've experienced very real racism and like microaggressions living in Southern California. I know that my friends that are black and brown and differently abled and LGBTQ and belonging to any marginalized community have experienced that. So it's definitely real everywhere. Um, I think it is scarier to me here though, yeah. if that's fair to say. That's real. That's yeah. real. And I think like, yeah. you know, I think we have to look at, um, although it is very different to be this like colorblind, um, liberal, like we're all like, on the same page um although that's different from like the outright like the outright and the anger like they go hand in hand and like i you know i and i kind of think that well i guess not now anymore because things have changed but i do feel like before you know it kind of did more damage to be that blanket you know like your struggle like you said like your struggle is not as valid because now we're we all have the same opportunities right um but i kind of think that's changing now with the current political climate and everything that's going on right now it's not taboo to be a white supremacist now people right. don't have to hide that and they feel more comfortable in it so you know yeah. i guess we're we're facing a whole new world what will what will seven years right. look like from now Jesus, man. You know? I know. everyone's gonna have a platform Gosh, it's true. Yeah, I I do want to know. Um, yeah. you know, so I mean, we, we met online. You and I met online. Uh, yes. basically because I reached out to you because yeah, your your article you. was trending. I mean, it's been it's been shared over what two hundred times, two hundred thousand yeah. times now. But you're about to hit two hundred. Yeah, I think that's what's happening. Yeah. It's very strange yeah, coming from like being a musician where I'm so you just like send stuff out and it's like oh another rejection. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> That <laughs> this is like a very weird thing. Well, I wanted but to get yeah, you before you hit a million because I knew it was going to be hard to get you before <laughs> no. you hit that. Once you hit a million, so so yeah, I do no. want to talk. I do want you to share. Uh, I'd like to know you know what inspired mm -hmm. you to to write that. You know, because it's a very yeah. it's a very profound read. It's a very profound piece, and it felt very heartfelt. It felt like it came from mm -hmm. the heart, and then you had a lot. Thank you. Uh, like you've experienced this a lot, and you have friends. It feels like you had resources that you had sources that you. You know, that yeah. you, you talked to somebody before you wrote this. I feel like you got those yeah. those perspectives. So, you know, yeah. if you want to share that with us. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, so much for um, engaging with it, first of all, and taking the time. Um, I know it's a vulnerable conversation. So when my two separate friends, and they are not the only two white friends that have ever asked me this, I think I've been asked this by most of the white friends that are that are in my life and I appreciate that but specifically after um, events in Virginia recently in Charlottesville 
folks had reached out and said, I posted something on Instagram that basically said, um, you know, when we're posting things that are saying love is all we need and our light is shining bright and all these things, I was like, that's beautiful, but it doesn't leave a lot of space for the, um, for the anger as well as the fear that people of color are living with like every day. And it kind of can sometimes send like a message of, um, but yeah, just be positive. Love is louder and love is louder. Like I'm so here for that. But at the same time, um, mobilization is real Mm -hmm. people are dying in the streets Mm -hmm. and um you can't like love is louder your way Mm -hmm. out of this so I posted something to that effect and a friend came to me because she had posted something in line with what I was saying like I think she'd posted something that said love is all we need and so she asked me well how can I be a stronger ally and another friend did as well um And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I really sat down to write this because I thought about energy and I thought about the amount of energy that people of color um, exert in situations like the one that you describe where someone would come up to you that is not a Spanish speaker, but speak to you in Spanish, like the amount of energy that like it takes to navigate through microaggressions that we deal with every day. And, um, So I honestly sat down writing it because I thought if I can do something to preserve the energy of a marginalized person, like if they can be in this position and be asked this question while also giving a tool to to white folks that genuinely do want to be allies because that's such an important conversation and I'm here for it. But I thought maybe I could write this and then they wouldn't have to have this same conversation. They could just send this piece in its place Um, because I think I was genuinely feeling like we're out here like trying to survive every day. (laughs) And like, yes, we want to be educating the people that we love because that's a part of love. But also like, guys, can I tell you how you can pick up a little bit of this and carry it on your own, like as white people trying to be allies. So that was, that was where it came from. But I wanted to be sensitive to some of the things that as a person of color, I don't often think about as it relates to whiteness. So I asked them like, what are some of the things that come along with white guilt? Like just when I say white privilege, what are some thoughts that come to your head? Cause I know that guilt is a part of that privilege conversation and I wanted to be empathetic. Like I wanted to lead with empathy and be understanding like, cause from my perspective, I'm like, why would you feel guilty? You never owned slaves. Like why would you, <laughs> I'm like sitting there, you know, and, and, but at the same time, it's my friends explained to me, like, I know that, pretty much every chance I've had that I've been given, like, yes, I've worked hard, but like, I have not had to work as hard as you because I've come up in a system that is set up so that I can have certain advances um, at the expense of you having a harder time getting to the same place. And so we had a talk that was really vulnerable between me and these two friends. And I kind of got a perspective into- They're white, right? They're white. Well, the interesting thing is um, these are friends from like the tail end of my time in Los Angeles. Got it. Okay. So what what um, was your community? Like I would like to know what, who, who, what was your, your circle of friends in college Mm -hmm. and after college while you were in LA? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, In college, I, I really was kind of the first time that I gravitated towards a predominantly black community because, um, on campus, I think I was searching for just that, for community. 
And I was the only, um, there were two people of color in my dorm, um, like on the first like six floors and then the top two floors, there were a few more. Um, so yeah, we kind of just were the only ones. So we would see each other at black student union meetings. And I really ended up hanging out with mostly black people for the first time in my life like I think I'd that's always pretty had, like predominant with the college experience yeah. with college yeah especially yeah, at like a white groups. servicing and mm-hmm. service institution you know like yeah um at least from you know people I know and like things that I've yeah. seen in different colleges I've been at like I think it's the first time a lot of people experience overwhelming privilege right because a lot of the times we go to school with people who look like us in the neighborhood that we grew up in um, and college is really the first time that we experience um, it's kind of like I, I think in my experience, at least like more blatant racism and segregation, you know, like really, really like spaces that are predominantly white and spaces that are white serving. And then you have to kind of be an outsider and navigate your way through that. It's great. It's crazy that you say that because I, I did see the same thing because I was Greek, too. And uh, I mean, my. My first time when when I got to college, it was my first uh, experience. The first time I had really been, uh, you know, part of a community where you know that uh, that you know a community where it was more more white kids than it was. I mean, I, I kind of grew up my my school. I didn't have any white kids in my school. I didn't have any. It was all his mostly Hispanic, some some black kids. But in uh, a lot of the kids that that rushed my uh, organization, my Greek org. They were they would come from predominantly a couple of them came from predominantly white uh, uh, high schools and they were searching for the opposite of what I was experiencing. You know, it was, it was like they were coming from, you know, maybe uh, they had mostly white friends in, in high school and now they wanted to connect, reconnect with their roots or et cetera. So it's, it's really interesting that you guys that you guys say that because I, I, I felt I saw the same thing. I saw the same. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, I don't remember what my point was, but yes, that's No, that's true. And I think I can relate to that. Like my school, my high school was very diverse, but yeah, predominantly white. And I think that going to college, I was like, it didn't look like the same dynamic of like some of your friends are white, but some of them are Asian and some of them are Hispanic and some of them are Pacific Islander and like all these things, you know, just being exposed to all these different groups, everybody's holidays, everybody's food, like I think I thought, well, I'm going to school in California, so life is still going to look like that. And then you're right, Serena, just like that total kind of like self-segregation because folks are out here trying to like belong to I actually to had this group. conversation with like <laughs> um, like my big sister when um, I got mm-hmm. into the sorority. She's like, do you feel like we self-segregate? And I'm like, yeah, because we have to. Like, we have to. We literally, <laughs> we have to. Um, yeah. I, and like, I went to a school that was, like, really diverse but predominantly white. And most of my friends mm-hmm. were white. But in high school or, or college? In high school. In high, high school. school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah. But I've ha- I had, like, a pretty diverse group of friends in high school. But in college, my friends were all, all girls who looked like me. Like, all Latinas. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 my program Same. was... Uh, most I think there was three, four Hispanic kids in my like major. I, I graduated mm. with John Goodman's daughter, and I took classes with Charlton him. Heston's grandson. Like that—that—that's oh who so cool. I, or in my core. Well, you were at USC, so you tend to go to school with oh, people yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, but like, <laughs> yes, this is true. Oh, this is true. But I mean, go but Trojans. I mean, but I mean, I didn't hang out with them outside. Yeah. Like they were—they were in my class, right. and they graduated. They walked the stage. Like John had a reserved seat at our graduation, but like that. 
Right. I mean, I never, I never hung out. Never. Maybe, yeah. you know, it was even if they, we shared right. the same space, we used the same, we had the same professors, but we never actually. Yeah. Engaged. Well, for me too, like really? I, right. I like was mm-hmm. in the classroom with all these different peoples, but I craved friends that look like me because even though mm-hmm. I had really good, I had really diverse friends in high school, I don't think none of them like shared my same experience or like mm-hmm. lived in my skin the way that my sisters live in my, you know what I mean? Being brown yes. girls who are like, fra- you know, who have different. Um, Hispanic backgrounds, right? Because I felt like mm-hmm. that was always something that was weird for me to navigate. Like, people would yeah. just assume that I was Mexican and be like, yeah, I am Mexican, but I'm also like mm. these other things. And they'd be <laughs> like, hold on, wait, isn't it all Lord. Mexico? And they would talk to me in Spanish. Hola, una cerveza. Yeah, but I, I think that that's one of the great things about like being people of color in college is that we're really, mm-hmm. really able to put ourselves in a, in a place where we see other people like that. And I don't think that we really right. have that in other spaces, you mm-hmm. know. But, I think that's really true. But, uh, mm-hmm. but going back to your, your article, can, you know, I just, you know, just wanted, wanted you to hit those points that you did make in that article for oh, anyone yeah. that's listening. Um, yeah. You know, um, yeah. No, I just, I thought I'd go through things that make sense um, to do. They were very direct, very on yeah. point. Like, I didn't want to, you know, if there'd been, I was an English literature major and I'm a songwriter and I'm a storyteller. And if there hadn't been like a word limit (laughs) for Sojourners, I would have spent such a ridiculous amount of time trying to like let people know how loved they were like and the coddling. And that's, I kind of, I had to put like a note at the front of like, I'm not going to do much coddling here. And I don't know that I believe that love requires coddling. Right. It doesn't. Um, I don't think it does. I, I don't think it does, you know? And so I think that if you can kind of just tell folks like, you're beautiful, you're human, you're amazing, and I'm rooting for you. Like, hopefully they can take that coming from a place of, like, I am not condemning you for any of this, but these are the things. Um, It's important to sit with an experience that is different than your own. Um, And the second was basically for, like, I just said one out of three, but it, it was really just kind of reiterating that point. But, like, for one out of every three points that a person of color, like a marginalized or disenfranchised person in your life shares with you, um, kind of just listen and like fight the urge to sort of respond with something that you heard that's better or that you read or that you saw when you traveled abroad. Um, Because a lot of times these things can feel when they come from our white friends, like whitesplaining and like the experience that you had isn't validated until it's kind of seen through a white lens um so that and not and not always but some of the time and so that was the second point and then the third point was um that being an ally is different than simply not wanting to be racist and so which god i appreciate you yeah. like, you don't want to be racist that's fine you don't have to <laughs> pick up any more than you're holding i'll take it um but at the same time i think the ally conversation is one framed around work that has to be done like activism is work and so um I think I just named a couple of books but I really was trying to just stress to people like you need to learn something about the experiences that are outside of your own specifically as it relates to the groups of people that you want to be an ally to and that relates to me as well like picking up the book I'm reading now um about the LGBTQ community and the church. I want to be an ally to my friends that belong to that community that are LGBTQ and gender non-identifying and that specifically have really experienced a lot of um, bigotry and shame. Um, and so I'm I'm fighting to be an ally as well. So I think that matters. Um, number four was, was one that 
people were probably maybe upset with in the comments, but it was basically um, to stop coming to the conversation of racism with so much shock. Like, I cannot believe that in 2017, mm-hmm. it, what, what, these things yeah. are happening. Yes. What comments are you getting? I do want to hear what um, I, you, this is a platform. Yeah. You should be addressing those comments, those questions that people yeah. and those counterpoints. Most of them are really overwhelmingly um, kind and folks that are engaging with the piece. And I've been trying to engage with them as well. And I've also been engaging with the ones that are terrible to an extent. But some people... I think are maybe not determining that the title is for our white friends desiring to be allies. Meaning, if you don't want to be an ally, literally you don't even need to read anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for it's you. Not I, for didn't you. For you. <laughs> I didn't write this for you. Um, but some people did like kind of chime in and, oh, disenfranchised, marginalized people are always wanting for uh, the world to cater to them. Slavery ended this many years ago. Mm. Your family immigrated here. You should be glad to... That kind of dialogue is maddening right but at this at the same time I kind of I went back and forth with a guy that maybe I shouldn't have but I tried to do it's it always hard just, not to yeah it's hard and I man. yeah and I said sir uh if you're acknowledging that you think that race you're saying that racism exists thanks for giving us that but you won't acknowledge that white privilege exists and and so what I had to say to him was I'm not asking you to be ashamed about being white because that's the way he was receiving the message. Right. Yeah, if I acknowledge white privilege, then I can't be proud of my race. And I said, absolutely, that is not true. It's like, if I acknowledge that a lot of black people are, in, and black and brown people are incarcerated or that we some of us were slaves, like, does that mean that I can't be proud of being black or brown? Like, that it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I think that it's this thing of like, you have to acknowledge the fact that systemic racism literally means that you benefited because other people did not. And Mm -hmm. that is white privilege. I don't see how people can deny like that white privilege exists when, you know, you yourself said that you went to like a college that was 1.8% black. (laughs) Right. You know, like how we see these things permeate through Mm -hmm. society. How can you not acknowledge that that comes from directly from structural racism? Right. Exactly. And so, yes, you're so right. And I think that at the end of it, like we went back forth a couple of chats and, and it stayed, you know, like pretty decently um, civil. What am I trying to say civil? Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the end, he was just like, OK, thank you, uh, you know, for graciously agreeing to disagree. But I just thought I think there's sometimes as a blocker. Um, and I wrote about this in the article when we talk about shame And that's like kind of at the core Mm -hmm. in my mind of why America hasn't done more work around race and, and really going back to our past and talking about the things that, that we've done that have gotten us here. I think there's just a lot of shame that then gets cloaked in like defensiveness and denial. Do you think people are just, you know, you're saying that people just don't want to feel they don't want to feel I well I you say yeah. that it's shame. I no. I kind of don't I wouldn't call it that, right? Because I yeah. think that the problem is that it's not shame. Um mm. I you know when we yeah. look at things like, you know, how Nazi Germany was with the with the Nazis yes. like they don't allow Nazism in their 
Uh, mm-hmm. They have memorials to the victims. They don't have memorials to, like, the generals and the things like yeah, that. Swastikas, like, yeah, swastikas, like, outlawed. We have Confederate flags everywhere. We have monuments everywhere. to Confederate people and slave o- yeah. lords and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. it's a lack of shame. I think that it's this, this like, fault, this blame, right, that people yeah, don't like. Like, it's yeah. not my fault, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. do this. They can't take... They can't acknowledge yeah. that they benefit without feeling mm-hmm. that they're being attacked. And I think yeah. that that has that's, that's like a, a lot, lot of, of the it. underlining like dissidence mm-hmm. between people accepting like white supremacy, you know? Yeah, that is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. You see a lot of that. And I, I do have a question, but I think yeah, I think you're going to hit it on your next point. So I'm just going to okay, let you, yeah. yeah. let you go. I'll let you oh, yeah. That. Yeah, because I remember it, it, yeah. you bring it up. So, <laughs> so I'll, let you, I'll let you go because I think you're going to address yeah. it. But go for it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So that was number four. Like, please stop being shocked and amazed because you're minimalizing everybody's experience by doing that. And um, number five was ask so much literature there's so many you can go to a spoken word night and hear beautiful stories or go to an artist's um painting like a gallery opening or music or what have you um but i said you know in safe spaces where you think that connections can be made and with friends who love you like folks asked me ask if you have a question but do the work first and then the last point was um Please stop talking about colorblindness because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Is a lot of people say that, man. Tommy yeah. Lauren said I like it to on be fucking objective. The Daily Show. Jesus like, Christ, man. Hi, are you? Uh, I, I hate when people say that because it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's so mm-hmm. diminishing, right? Like, I wake up yeah. and I look in the mirror every day and I see a brown woman. Like, <laughs> yes. that's what I see. Yes. You know, you yeah. see a black woman, you see a brown yes. guy. You know, we, we yes. live in our skin every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so diminishing. And it... I think like you brought up Germany, but we should not want to run away from, we can't, we've seen where it's gotten us, but we should not want to run away from these things that have happened in, in our country's history. We can't, we're living with the ghosts, the blood is on the land, like it's, it's done. And I think that the sooner that we can get to a place of acknowledging all the folks that are here, the stories that got them here celebrating those, taking those in, working to repair. Um, I talked about reparations, working transformative justice, restorative justice. Like there's so much deep work that needs to begin. But colorblindness, like that ain't gonna get it because that is, <laughs> that's something that we should absolutely, in a nation that looks like ours, this fabric, it's not only impossible, but we should never want to be. We should never want to be. I think that's no. so very what, what important. So what would you say to people, say like, mm-hmm. you know, say a CEO or recruiting agent or something that wants to say, mm-hmm. that says, you know, I look at, Sorry, I look at merit. That's all I look at. I don't look mm-hmm. at. I don't look at color. I'm not worried about the name. Uh, I just mm-hmm. look at. You know, what do you, what do you say to those guys when when you say like this is yeah. the, you know this is my job and this is what I'm looking at. I'm not. I'm not looking at whether I I care about the person's character. I don't care about mm-hmm. whether the person is black or wh- white or brown right. or whatever. I think it's such a nice idea in theory. Like, um, <laughs> I've cute. felt that way about that's a lot cute. of like fairy tales that I've read. Like, oh, that's so <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, it's like, it's so quaint and nice, but at the, but then I think to myself, diversity, true diversity, like representation of different voices, different stories, different bodies that hold different identities, true diversity happens with so much deep work. It does Mm -hmm. not just happen on, 
Um, I'm just going to willy nilly kind of, you know, throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. It's not, it's not that kind of situation. Merit is important. I struggle because we don't live in a meritocracy Mm -hmm. though. We don't. Um, Opportunities are very often there. I might be better suited for a position or have just as good of qualifications as somebody that's a white male in America. But the odds are that they have been afforded an opportunity at some point in their past, um, depending on where they come from in their socioeconomic background that I haven't been afforded. Mm -hmm. And so they would nine times out of 10 look better than me on paper. Yes, And so I think that when folks are kind of just focused on that or say that programs like affirmative action don't matter, different language like that, it's it's difficult because it's hard to imagine a world where we're actually going to have an equal representation of voices at the front if we're not considering folks' stories and the roads that they took to get here. Um, and it takes work, right? But I, I put this in the article and I feel deeply about this. I think that like anything that's ever told us that loving people and being a contributing member of a society is supposed to be easy has lied to us. Mm-hmm. I think it takes a lot of work to be a part of a community. And I think that that's what we need to reach for going forward. It's so I feel like uh, we could have a podcast for hours with you, right? Because I have so many questions <laughs> I want to ask you and get your thoughts on so many things. Um, but you guys too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. But oh, I want to go off like now I'm like, okay, wait, I want to ask you this question. Okay, I'm gonna add. but now going off this latest point that you ended on. So we're mm-hmm. in a time, right? I think that one thing that frustrates me, so I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we saw this whole Charlottesville incident happen. and yeah. um, We saw the response to it. Um, yeah. You have said a lot that you do not feel that this... Um, this idea of love is more powerful and Mm -hmm. so and I agree I think I Mm -hmm. think that love is powerful but action is Mm -hmm. more powerful right voices are more powerful Mm -hmm. what do you have to say to those people that you may encounter on your comments or just you know through a lot of us on social media that say um this isn't the right way to protest Mm-hmm. But I hear you, but you should be peaceful. I know yeah. that you're angry, but let's be nonviolent. Um, how right. how do um, we help our allies understand right. that demonstrations and protests are important mm-hmm. and that, right. you know, they're essential to change in a democracy? Mm, that is so good. Girl, say that. Um, <laughs> that is so good. You but just answered the question. It's yes, I know what I would say. What would you it's say? True. It's so true. Um, I think that I, I think of the civil rights movement and I think of civil rights leaders across like every different kind of vein. It's always manifested itself in bodies. Like mm. at the end mm. of the day, when change was actually really occurring, it was people showing up with putting their bodies on the line. And that, I mean, I get chills thinking about that because I think of like, I think of migrant workers, I think of slaves on the auction block. Like I think of the bodies that went, that paid the price for advancement to happen. Um, I really wish that I believed that like just sitting in my room and, and 
and praying and like hoping was going to um, be enough. I, th- I I do believe that we can really put a lot of powerful energy into the world for certain, but I think that um, love requires sacrifice in my mind to an extent. I think it requires movement and and meaningful action. Um, and I mean meaningful. So I'm all about a protest. I'm all about a demonstration. I've slept outside. I've been not arrested, but detained three times. Um, you know, so I'm all about showing up with your body. And and then when things get violent and folks, like you're saying, kind of are like, this is just outrageous. I I mostly live on the side of Martin, but I like kind of border with Malcolm too, because I also understand like, you know, people get fucking angry and they get to a point where like, if you were living this reality, you would want to burn some shit down Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes that, right? Like sometimes that has to happen in order for, sometimes a brick has to hit a glass window for a message to be heard. Um, that's and that's un- yes, exactly. That's unfortunate, but yes. it is what has yeah, to happen. Yeah, and it, I all, yeah. like I remember when you know back in November 9th, November tenth, uh, you know mm-hmm. last year, I remember I was seeing mm-hmm. a lot of people that were like, "Oh my god, the freeway shut down! Like, what are you? What are you gonna do? What are you? Oh my mm-hmm. god, now I can't get to work. These people are so annoying. Yeah. Why are they doing? What are they gonna accomplish? I'm like, well, they're taking up space. Mm-hmm. They're making yeah. noise. Mm-hmm. They're, Reclaiming they're doing space. Something. They're Reclaiming doing, they're, space. They're making noise and they're they're making, you know, in a space, Mm -hmm. in a place where they don't think they're, they're being heard. They're making themselves be heard. They have, they're riled up about something and they, they have a a voice and they want to express, they have an opinion. They want to express it. And when people tell me like protest doesn't do anything, I'm, I literally combat them with like, it's the only thing that ever has, you know, like power, (laughs) power does not give up power without demand, Mm. you know? And what do you think gave us civil rights? What do you think gave us LGBT rights? You know, women's rights to vote, like all of these things. Like it's not through people like hoping and 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 praying and and wishing. What is the outright Mm -hmm. doing now? Yeah. What are they trying to do now? They're trying to, they want, they're protesting because everybody else is protesting. So now they're protesting. Yeah. Now they, exactly. Yeah. You know, they want to use Mm -hmm. their, I mean, you know, that's a little questionable, you know, it's debatable how they're, how they're going about it. But But I think it's very, I think very different between saying like, Hey, we're here and we deserve the same rights as you Mm -hmm. as saying like, you will not replace us. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, it's very different. With tiki torches. Yeah. With tiki torches. Very, Um, right. Very different. But yes, I think it's, you know, like these these questions are important because it allows us to better know how to inform um, Mm -hmm. the people we interact with. And hopefully it better informs our our listeners how to better interact with these conversations and how to, you know, I know that that's been um, like a journey for me in in learning how to um, have conversations with people. Right. Right. Um, um, And I think that's something that if we want to be. Real change makers, we have to learn how to do. And unfortunately, right, like right. it takes a lot of emotional labor from us. But just like your mm-hmm. article and just how yeah. like you're hoping that people will use it a tool, tool to like um, save themselves from emotional labor. Like right. it, we it's more it's it's great for that work to be done more and more. Um, so yes. I have another question. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that um, some potential allies are so turned off by the idea of doing their own research. Okay. Mm. So 
I do want to I do want to bring up a story before before you hit this point. Okay, I do have okay, a story. I okay. do have a story. Okay, so okay. <laughs> and this is actually similar to the question I was going to ask. But okay, so. I'm a big fan of Lady Gaga. You already know this. Yes. Uh, like that's oh, my girl. Yeah. She she can oh, do no wrong. Yes. I, I, I live. Oh, for her. I, know I know exactly where this is going. I know what you're talking yes. about. That's yeah. that's that's on me. I've been to her concerts. I've I love her. That's my girl. She's amazing. But she recently got. She recently you know had some you know backlash. She, yeah, backlash. What is it called? Clapbacks mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Like, when people, people you know people were really upset because she posted something on Twitter and she uses her own. She's known to use her own Twitter account. So it's not her mm-hmm. her PR people. It's no one else. Not an intern that's right. using it. it's her yeah and she posted on twitter she said for the black community tell us the ways the non-racist white community who loves you can do better to help mm-hmm. influence the country hashtag how we do better xoxo right. mm-hmm. what do you how do you respond to that because she did get a lot of, yeah. she did get a she lot, got of, a lot of clap back yes, yeah a she lot did of negative yeah. reactions people were really upset oh it's so it's so hard because i do see i see the both sides of Right, leading with empathy. I can try to imagine that in her position, she was thinking, I want to hear from the voices that are often subject to invisibility and like near erasure. Mm-hmm. The folks that we're never hearing from, I want for you to tell me how I can, you know, and I kind of think of that of like being in a friendship or if, or in a romantic relationship. If someone were to come with you and say, come to you and say like, how can I love you better? That would be like, oh, okay, like you want to do the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get that kind of thinking. And I also, I also love her as an artist as well. And I can see that that was probably coming and rooted in such a deep- Good intentions. um, Good intentions. And the whole like well-meaning conversation is so tough. (laughs) Um, But that's, but that's what it is because it's like, while that was super well-meaning, you are still putting the burden, um, on the most burdened people mm-hmm. to tell you to tell you how to unburden them when the burden was put there by not you specifically but by the group that you belong to in the first place and that's uh, that's so um i think of like someone's hands being tied and then like the person that tied their hands asking them like what can I do to untie your hands? <laughs> and it's like, well, you wow. tied them, so figure yeah. it out, you know, kind of thing. And and so it's not any, um, obviously she doesn't hold the like specific culpability, but at the same time, I would just charge folks like that to look at the things that they're doing on a daily basis, because I bet it is happening on a daily basis that don't give the microphone or don't give a platform or don't give um, time or attention to folks that are, rarely having that microphone and rarely having that platform because I think for someone like her that's a huge start like mm-hmm. she has a huge microphone that she can point in a lot of different directions and I think that's a great place to start is to flash a light on some issues that affect people that are living in the margins um, but to ask them what can be done if I were her like using empathy I think I would have done that offline like kind of how friends came yeah. to me or, or she if there's a lot of black dancers, you, backup like, dancers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Like I think I would have just been like, Hey, to the people I trust that I'm close to, can I ask you guys this question? And if they were like, no, go pick up a book. I'd yeah. Like, okay, cool. cool yeah. Cool. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what, like, I hope that somebody told her like, do your own research. And I hope that she right. did her own research, you know? And I think right. that that's like, you know, in those situations when we have our white friends who ask us, what can I do? Telling them right. to do your own research is an appropriate yes. answer, 
you know? Yes. So Agreed. I, I think that's a learning lesson for all of us. Right. We have to get more, I know myself included, more comfortable with that and like being okay with saying, I need to preserve my energy. Mm-hmm. I love you, but like, I, I can tell you books to read. I can direct you to a couple of authors that I like or podcasts to listen mm-hmm. to. Like what you guys are doing is amazing. And I have shared and I'm going to be sharing more because I think when people do come with questions, it is nice to just be able to direct them to something that you know can take them down like a deeper rabbit hole. They yeah. listen to one episode, they'll hear like these references and then they'll go check out these books yeah. and then they'll read these articles and... Yeah, it takes some of the burden off. And I and I think that, you know, like we are all like me, I know especially, so I can speak from personal like experience. I am mm. not an expert. I am just a compilation no. of all the things that I've read, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I read and I listen and I experience and I feel and my viewpoint and my yeah. experience is one hundred percent contrived from those things that I've read mm. and felt and seen and heard so for people who need want to understand more and want to learn more that's where you start right read more perspectives read more books by women of color see more movies and documentaries Mm -hmm. about systematic racism and oppression and how you know like i i can't 100 percent tell you why i know that structural racism racism exists you know i can't sit here and tell you like all the statistics behind the school to prison pipeline and how affirmative action benefits white women more than it does people Mm -hmm. of color you know Mm -hmm. but i've read these things Mm -hmm. and it's out there and it's framed my my viewpoint so you can do the same thing exactly exactly yes there's access yeah especially like now with the readiness of things are just so available online. So it's like, there's no excuse. There's kind of no excuse. Yeah. There's no excuse. Or listen to our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We'll give you a good place to start. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. But, (laughs) but, um, I mean, we are, we are running uh, out of time. So, um, yeah. I mean, do you have anything, any other points to hit? Um, no, I just think that, um, it's important for us to continue these conversations. If mm-hmm. somebody tells you that racism only exists because we keep talking about it, tell them mm-hmm. that the only way we can um, progress from it is if we keep talking about it and keep shining yeah. a light on it. So, and you yeah. know, it's funny because yeah, yeah, I, I've never, and I've, I think I've shared this with you guys before. I've done, uh, but I don't think I've never really been on the forefront of any movement. I've never actually been like, I've never been an active and I, I don't call myself mm-hmm. an activist. I don't like to call myself because there are people right. who deserve that title. Yes. And I it, don't yes. think I deserve yeah. that title. I, I agree. I go to protests and stuff. I wouldn't call myself yeah. an exactly. activist. I, I don't, yeah, I won't. Same. And I won't yeah. speak yeah. on behalf of yeah. any mm-hmm. movement because I know yeah. that's not me. And that, yeah. and that's again, that's yeah. why I, I chose this platform because I, that mm-hmm. I, I want to learn from everyone, you know, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that are similar that, that, that have that they're in a similar situation where they don't, maybe they don't know where where they fit and maybe they fall into that marginalized category maybe they're in that mm-hmm. group you know of marginalized mm-hmm. people you know what do you say like what do you guys say what do you guys think that they should what, what's 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 best what's their best approach how can they be part of the movement and and not i i think what for anybody out there right like 
true equality doesn't happen until we're all truly equal. So wherever you are, if you are a marginalized person of any category, it benefits you to have us all reach the same kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. you aren't black or just because you aren't gay or just because you're not a woman doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you wouldn't benefit from seeing them achieve yeah. the same level of success you're able to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, I also think that it's really hard to make a monster out of a man. My dad used to say that, but like mm. to make um, somebody into something really scary and vicious when they're human to you. Mm-hmm. So that is why I love stories. And so however people kind of can receive stories that are totally different from their experience, I that's always been my suggestion like for how to start when people say like, well, how do I care about things outside of my realm? That has just been the easiest way into caring about human experiences for me, whether it's been listening to songs by somebody who's living a completely different mm-hmm. life experience or movies or listening to podcasts or just whatever it is, musicals. There's so many different things. Be open going, to those yeah. other voices. Yeah, be open to those other voices because I think it becomes really difficult and I would argue at a point impossible to sit with like human experiences and not at some point start to see folks as humans and to begin to put yourself in their position and think about what it would have been like to grow up in the foster care system and think about what it would have been like to never know either one of your parents or grow up differently abled or whatever things um, there are. So I, I think I encourage people to kind of sit with stories of experiences that are just nothing like their own and also of experiences that are their own because a lot of us that are marginalized and, and disenfranchised folks there's a, a like overwhelming lack of representation mm-hmm. for stories from our voices and so sometimes the work is like sitting down and sitting with stories of people that look like you for the first time in your life because that's powerful too. So I think on both sides, that's what I would suggest. And I think that feels gentle. Like if you tell people that the ultimate goal of all of it is to love humans, I think that can feel daunting, but at the same time that feels possible as Mm -hmm. opposed to what do I need to know and what do I need to read and what do I need to, if you're coming from a place of like care, try caring because that'll lead you to everything else. I believe that. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) <laughs> we we like to end the show with with plugs with recommendations and i know you have okay. a couple of titles you have a couple of texts that you want to share so um you know okay just, just, just go around the yeah. the room or the space I well guess. i just have one okay so i'll it start is. Is it game um, of thrones? no it's not game of thrones <laughs> but if you're if you're not watching it then you're behind <laughs> what well, um, was that finale though uh, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> okay, I have a plug. If you want to learn kind of more just about um, structural racism, um, mm-hmm. one book that like really, really opened my eyes and like made a big impression to me and made me like see tangibly how real it is. Um, it's uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Yes. Uh, it yes. talks about uh, how essentially... The prison industrial complex is Mm -hmm. a new uh, slavery system that keeps Mm -hmm. predominantly black men um, in the justice system and forever incarcerated. Um, So if you want to know about how structural racism plays a part in the society, read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Mm. 
Yes, amen to that. Um, I would say for stories outside of your own experience or maybe within your experience, I really love Tennessee Coates' "Between the World and Me," what, which what is it? he what wrote. Is it um, sorry, what? what? What's the title? Um, "Between the World and Me," and he wrote it as kind of like started as a letter to his son after I think the death of Michael Brown. Um, it could have been after the death of Trayvon Martin, and I'm not certain, but it is, it's a really um, beautiful and painful kind of experience to observe. I think it's a really important telling of an, an of an American story of a black man um, and what it sort of looks like to survive and to even make it to adulthood as a person of color, period. And then I also really love um, The House on Mango Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sandra Cisneros. Yes. And so I think, um, yeah, sitting with, I took a class in college, it was women of color, and I thought it was going to be all about black women, and I was like, I'm not even going to have to come to class, it's going to be so easy, <laughs> and, and it was about like every group, like black women were like a very small portion, and, and that book was one of the books from that class, and, and it by far was the best class I ever took, but I think being immersing yourself in a story like experiences that are different than your own. So whatever stories those will be. Um, yeah. I just encourage people to find them. And, and you're and where can we find you online? Um, I'm on the internet, Courtney, Ariel music on Instagram, on Facebook, and then on Twitter, it's C R E L music. I have an EP that I just released. It's on Spotify and iTunes and title. It's called folklore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, under and, my and name. And Courtney what's the title of your, of your piece? Yes, the piece is called For Our White Friends Desiring to Be Allies. And it's on Sojourner's website. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Thank you. I I've, yeah. yeah, I don't have anything. I think I'm good. I'm not as good as your text. Your, your <laughs> no. Wait, Nala, do you have anything? Uh, oof, I, Besides I Hamilton? <laughs> Everybody Hamilton. should l- watch Game of Thrones and listen to Hamilton. Amen. Listen to Hamilton. I literally have to listen to one song at least every day. <laughs> Lin Manuel least. has that effect. Yes, he does. He does. So he does. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much, guys. You guys are the best. Thank yes. you so much for having me. Thank you guys you, are awesome. For, this has been a thank treat. Thank you for responding to my DM. He slid in.
guys, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you go to for your podcasts. And make sure to rate us five stars. We want to make sure that we keep coming back and have new content for you every week. Also, make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at PocTalk and on Twitter at PocTalk1. If you have any questions or comments, concerns, suggestions, or you just want to throw shade at one of our panelists, you can write us at pocktalkpod at gmail.com or visit the website pocktalkpod.com. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time here on Pock Talk.